Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3-133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. On this Wednesday in the middle of just an incredibly busy week, Cajuns will play... Well, we're going to say tomorrow night, but really it's going to feel like Friday morning. I mean, it's just, it's going to be incredible. Um, So we're going to have a fair amount of open phone lines today. We're going to have Cokie Riley at 915. We're going to have Luke Johnson at 1015. Uh, talking Saints. I, I don't. I try not to bug Luke too much during busy times, but um, since a lot of things have been going on with the Saints, and you know, got a quarterback, got a receiver if he's healthy, and then also losing a lot of people. Latest one is it looks like uh, the Buffalo Bills have now have Deontay Hardy. Um, you know, I really liked him. I think he was the most as talented a return guy, but he, he I don't know if it was injuries or just the offense was in a it was a bad time. I think he could have been a very good deep threat, um, and I, I think Shahid has basically replaced him with a little more size, and so. It's not like you lose a whole lot, although, you know, he was intriguing to me. And he, and he had a nice little run, and I don't think they were able, ever able to take full advantage of it because they just never had enough depth at wide receiver because Michael Thomas uh, or, and, and or Jarvis or whoever else just was never able to stay healthy. They just weren't. And uh, just awful. Um It is so we'll you know we'll continue continue to monitor that. Still nothing that I know of on Aaron Rodgers. I mean, can you if you're a Jets fan, you were probably celebrating over the weekend. The problem with things that go on and on like this is at some point you start to say, Have we been fooling ourselves? It's just about to become a disaster show. Man, I just I can and, and, and the other thing, I can, I, I can remember, again, about a decade ago when I started telling y'all, this guy's the most arrogant athlete I have ever seen in my life. And people looked at me like, what, really? Aaron Rodgers? Arrogant? Like, really? Like, yeah, he's the most arrogant athlete I've ever seen in my life. And boy, does that come true? Like, that guy. I don't know. That would that would drive me crazy. Bonkers. If I was a fan of either one, but 
if he ends up with the Jets and if he plays well, which I, if he's healthy, he'll play well because he's, he's still enormously talented. It, it could all work out. Like, if you're the Jets and you've been waiting for a quarterback, you could argue. Now, like, I, look, I've heard a lot of people say they haven't had a quarterback since Joe Namath. Well, they haven't had what you would consider a superstar quarterback. Ken O'Brien was a good quarterback. Like, he wasn't, you know, Jim Kelly or John Elway or, you know, the, the from that group. But he was a really good quarterback. Like, not elite, but, you know, that half a step just but He had a lot of good seasons. So... It's not like they never had a good quarterback, any good quarterback. I mean, Pennington was okay, but he was limited. I, Ken O'Brien was a legitimately good NFL quarterback. But um, they haven't had a whole lot for sure since then. And so it, for them, it's probably worth the wait. But, man, will drive you crazy in the meantime. All right, next segment, we'll be talking LSU baseball. They're opening SEC play with the Aggies over the weekend, so we'll be looking into that. Um, Cajun baseball last night. Man, I tell you what, the, the Cajuns play, they don't always play smooth, but they, the, you know, if you're someone that doesn't like baseball because the games last too long, in your opinion, you need to go to a Cajun game. Like, they do not last long. Like, very rarely do they see, seem like everyone lately is over and under two and a half hours. Like, they play 218, 220, 225, whatever, in that range on a regular basis. Now, what's going to happen tonight in Biloxi? I didn't know, but um, Dawson is the, um, you know, the the knower of Biloxi. I mean, I've been to Biloxi plenty of times, but I, I, I don't like. Not own, quite. I don't have, like, stock in the town or anything. I don't either. <laughs> but you seem to know a lot about well, Biloxi. Well, yeah, my grandpa was born and raised there, and he lives there now, and he is he's a big deal over there. He, uh, but I've, I spent a lot of time in Biloxi, and my dad and I went, and I, I was telling you last night, I was actually at the first game at MGM Park the uh, where the Cajuns will play tonight which is the home of the Shuckers, the double-A team. Um, and it's a, it's a nice ballpark. They did it right. They took their time and um, and kind of built it, which there was some delays as well, and the team ended up playing a whole bunch of road games here at the stadium open. But it's nice, and it's a great place to watch a game, especially if you're, uh, you know, hanging out in Biloxi and you don't have anything going on during the summer. And you can – now, when you're sitting, say, like in the stands or in the press box looking at the field – the, the the golf is behind you. The golf is up the first baseline. The golf is to your right. If you're you know the field is shaped to where the okay. first baseline is parallel to the golf. I got you. Well, you know we'll see what happens. I I'm I don't know that I'm a big fan of playing five game weeks the first two weeks of Sunbelt Conference play. I fully agree with you there. I would have much rather see them do that in non-conference when the games matter a little less because I get the logic you're kind of testing yourself again in that tournament style like we have to save pitching and, and be efficient and things like that. But, yeah, you're trying to get a head start in what's a much more competitive Sunbelt Conference this year, and now you're kind of putting yourself behind it. Now, Cooper Rawls did you some favors as far as maybe avoiding – losing out on a bunch of pitching because he went five strong innings last night. But, yeah, I, 
I'm not a big fan of that either. The other thing that when I asked Coach Deggs that question on in Monday's presser, he basically said, look, we've got a lot of people that we would like to get a look at that you don't may not know about yet or you know very little about. I get that, but like it's 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 almost too late for that. <laughs> like it, you're about to start conference play. I mean, I mean, you know, it's really. I guess technically it's not too late, but how much experimenting do you want to be doing in conference play? This isn't the Cajuns on softball. This is baseball. Um, and then you know, so we'll we'll, we'll see. So uh, obviously, baseball is about to heat up, but. It, it's so hard, I, you know. It's look. It's great that the Cajuns are where they are, but you just, you know, you know, some people like Dawson is a huge NCAA tournament fan, so it doesn't matter whether the Cajuns were in it or not. He's going to be focused on it. Uh, but the Cajuns being in it adds a whole different deal. So, like, I'm really ready to get into the NFL draft, but we have to put that on the back burner for now. Just You just kind of have to. And so baseball kind of, you know, it's going to, once the Cajuns start Sunbelt play and LSU starts SEC play, it's going to be here this weekend. And so it's going to be more of a primary focus. But even right now, I mean, the Cajuns are playing Mississippi State tonight, and yet it's like, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth on the, on the thing that's kind of dominating your thoughts at the moment. And then we got the Cajuns have pro day today. And it's like, what? It's just like normally tomorrow there was going to be a uh, football spring football presser, one of two availabilities each week. They just canceled it. It's like there's just too much. It's just it's crazy, everything that's going on right now. So. It is what it is. And, uh, you know, once this kind of blows over, we will uh, we'll get to the NFL draft. But it's um, it's it, it, it's getting more and more interesting because of free agent signings. Now, did I hear that the guy that I wanted has signed? I think Jaron Reed, Jaron Reed signed and. That's bad. Now, he's not the only veteran defensive tackle that was available, but I, I really, really want the Saints to sign a veteran defensive tackle. Um, did I hear wrong? Did he not sign? I think he did. I, I'm trying to find it. I saw it earlier. Uh, yeah, he's, he's going back to Seattle, looks like. Cat loves Asia. Asia? Yeah. Oh, did we, we haven't. I call like Seattle's just a hop, skip, and a jump from the Bering Strait, the way I see it. And so uh, I kind of I call that Asia. Okay. So if you hear me talking about Asia, I'm talking about you know, the Great Northwest. Okay. What if you're talking about actual Asia? How is that mean you're talking about well, Seattle? That we don't talk about that very often. <laughs> Asia doesn't really come up very often, uh, other than Japan? saying that the Saints are playing. I mean that the Astros are playing in a. Well, at the, at, you know, when we get to the final of the yeah. World Baseball Classic, we might be talking about Japan. Yeah, so the quarterfinal, they didn't waste any time, huh? Did you see that with the World Baseball Classic last night? What? So, like, I mean, the, the U.S. played their final pool play game, but they already had a quarterfinal as well. What are you talking about? 
That's what unless unless the ESPN notification that I got was incorrect, because it it told me Cuba's booked their ticket to the semifinals already. Well, how could that be? Well, I think it's because that side of the pool play already finished up a couple of days ago. Australia played Cuba yesterday, and I think that was the first quarterfinal match. Well, yeah, they, they started before like USA and Canada. And yeah, all so that, that is that's it. So the, yeah, quarter the first quarterfinal is is done. Cuba beat Australia four three at five a.m. this morning is when that game started. Um, so Cuba is into the semifinals. All right, so. It's the quarters and the semis is single elimination. Everything, yeah, from here on from out. From here on out. So when so what is the USA schedule? Because I, I I'm not up on that. When do they play? So it looks like if they advance, so did they win the pool or not? So this they don't they have they don't have the bracket updated as far as what the US did. Um so they ended up three and one. See, this doesn't have it updated at all. This still has them at two and one. I think they Ended up winning the group, right? Yeah, that I, I don't know. I don't know if they won the tiebreaker. Um, did so? Did Mexico win last night? I'm so behind. they were winning, but I I didn't stay up for watch to finish watching. Well, Mexico. apparently the MLB website is just as behind as I am because yeah. they don't have games. Well, we'll at figure all that out. But I, I no, I was I, I didn't I didn't think they had already played quarterfinal games. All right, we'll do this. We will take a timeout. Get to talking some LSU SEC baseball with Cokie Riley next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us Mr. Cokie Riley. How are you, sir? Doing great. How's it going, Kevin? Well, we're getting a little closer. As I was just saying, you know, the Cages made the NCAA basketball tournament, so many of us still kind of have basketball in their minds, and I'm going to be heading into Orlando in a little while. But uh, we've also got Cages about to open Sunbelt Conference tournament play this weekend and LSU. And the SEC is going to get going. Uh, you know, for people who are really focused on baseball, this is when it kind of really starts. Yeah, no, exactly what you said. Um, I mean, SEC, SEC play uh, starts this weekend for LSU against Texas A&M. And it's going to be a really interesting series. I think it's like one of the first real tests that this LSU team is going to be um, facing up against uh, this season. But Hey, it's 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 not going to be their last test for sure. I mean, the schedule I think really only gets progressively harder after this weekend. Do you have a sense? Obviously, A and M was pretty good last year. Um, do you have a sense? You know, looking at their schedule, they lost to Portland a couple times. They they did beat Texas Tech in a marathon game. They got beat by Louisville pretty bad. You don't want to put too much stock in in these you know early season games, but. I don't know. Do we have a clear idea about how good they are? Well, I think it's safe to say that the top of the rotation has looked pretty good. Some of the bullpen pieces have looked good, but usually bullpens do look good when you're going up against weaker competition. 
um, because again, that's small sample size, and they're not playing against the best hitters. And you you you, you get what I'm going at. Anyway, right. um, the one thing I think we can sort of maybe say about the A&M team is that their hitting hasn't been great. I mean, they have a couple notable guys. Austin Boast, who was one of the better hitters in the, in the league last season, he's been very good to start this year as well. Hunter Haas um, has sort of stepped up for them. Arizona State transfer is a OPS over one. Um, but again, this team doesn't hit a lot of home runs. I believe they only have 15 home runs as a team this season, which is a freakishly low number. Um, that's just something to keep an eye out for. Um, they have some talent in this order, and it, it, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy to beat them, but they, they don't. This team just hasn't scored a ton of runs this year. They have a pretty strong top of the order. They have a lot of left-handed options in this uh, in this bullpen, especially. And uh, Troy Wanting, he's a lefty. He'll probably throw on Saturday. Um, Nathan Detmer is a 2.3 RA. He'll probably be the Friday guy. So, yeah, I mean, this is a decent – this is a pretty solid Texas A&M team, and they're ranked, uh, which is something that LSU hasn't faced this yet this season. Texas wasn't ranked. Um, uh, Iowa wasn't ranked. Kansas State wasn't ranked. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be much more of a challenge than what they've seen this season. But um, I, I think next weekend against Arkansas is going to be a bigger test. And I think the weekend after that against Tennessee might be the biggest test that they face all season. All right. So you mentioned, you just alluded to LSU's schedule again. And um, is there anything that, Obviously, they LSU's done everything well, and they you know they've crushed just about every opponent. But is there anything that you that even though they've gone well, but was a preseason kind of question for you that you don't feel like they played a good enough schedule to test that you're really going to be looking for to see how that area does against at least a pretty good team in Texas A&M. This is a pretty good question because I, I just feel like I, I, if you had any questions, it was. I, I, it was probably the defense, but yeah, I, I think my answer is the defense, just because, um, just because when you face against better competition and more teams that can put the ball in play and hit the ball harder, then that really sort of puts some stress on um, the, at, at shortstop, at third base, at some of these positions where you had some questions going and like how solid are they defensively? Um, because if you look at if you've been watching these games, you've seen that Elsie's pitching is pretty consistently blown away the competition, um, which wasn't the case at all last year. I think if anyone had any questions about how much better this pitching staff was this season compared to last year, I think this year has pretty much answered your questions. I mean, they did not have anyone like Paul Skeens last year, period, end of story. And I know they haven't really played anyone to, to test that out, but he's still an extremely, extremely but no, no one throwing 99 with a wipeout slider last year. It just didn't exist. I mean, Mikhail Hilliard was pretty much the ace, and he was throwing like 89 out there and crafty and fun, but not nowhere near as good as really the top three or four guys in this rotation, um, let alone being you know, the team ace. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like the rotation is definitely for itself. I feel like we knew the lineup was going to be great, has been great, but I am sort of curious about what the defense sort of looks like against teams that, you know, are going to hit the ball and put the ball more and play more often, hit the ball harder. And they just haven't seen a lot of hard hit balls come at their way this season. And I kind of want to see what that looks like. And 
um, uh, conference play. All right. So, do it do you know one of the things like at a mid-major level, or even you know a team that's not super elite like LSU at a Power Five level, they they play tougher teams because they want to know where their weaknesses are before it's too late. So. Um, do you feel like LSU's schedule is pretty set or there still could be some things that, you know, they might find out when they start playing the Tennessees of the world and the Arkansas of the world that could end up changing the rotation or, or a, uh, you know, a position player or two? I think a lot of those changes have been made to the rotation at least. I think Thatcher Hurd starting the year as a midweek guy seemed curious and having Riley Cooper and Chase Chase Shore starting midweek starting weekend games seemed like seemed like curious decisions and interesting decisions and um and I think it's the rotation has sort of shaped out to something more or less what we thought it would be. Uh maybe we thought Hurd would be on a on a Saturday instead of a Sunday and he may still shift back shift up to Saturday at some point, but right now he's the Sunday guy. Ty Floyd's the Saturday guy and the way Ty Floyd's pitched my guess is whole He'll um, maintain his weekend spot, and then Paul Skeen is, is the ace, and the undoubted ace, arguably the best pitcher in college baseball. Um, just really, you know, just really remarkable talent, especially since now he's. I mean, they haven't announced it officially, but it sort of seems like he's just a pitcher now. Um, and even though there was a suggestion at the beginning of the year that he was going to hit and pitch, but he's just been he's been such a good pitcher for them, and so valuable that. You don't want to risk him getting hit by one pitch, and then all of a sudden, you know, you lose your ace because you wanted him to DH some when you already had a great lineup in the first place. So, um, yeah, so I, there, there's definitely some risk there. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, things in terms of other things that could potentially shape out, I'm sort of curious to see what the bullpen looks like in like real pressure situations. They haven't really uh, had to. They haven't really had to um, go to. Uh, sort of that pressure, uh, uh, pressure, pressure rotation when it comes to figuring out which guys to throw in like big spots. I, Texas games probably the closest thing we've seen to that. I mean, Christian Little closed out that game. Nate Hackenhausen pitched a bunch of innings, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so I think those two guys are definitely going to be key spots of this bullpen. I think Garrett Edwards who pitched last night and was fantastic last night. He's going to be a big part of that bullpen, but. I'm sort of interested to see like what the um, what the hierarchy there is going to look like, and Chase Shores is going to be in that bullpen too. So um, that's going to be uh, really interesting. They have a lot of different options from the left side and the right side. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see that. But I, I think for the most part, I think this team is more or less set. There's going to be some the, some shakeups in the in the lineup as well, depending on certain matchups. Jay Johnson hasn't been afraid to do that, but a lot of that's going to depend on like a day-to-day basis and um and we also kind of know who the key guys are i i wouldn't expect anything super major um with the lineup just you know day-to-day tweaks i'd say so i think the rotation is more or less set the line is more or less set it's just the bullpen that i'm kind of curious to see what the hierarchy looks like against better competition all right Ole miss proved to us last year that you know you don't really know about some teams and you're not really going to know until who knows how late into the season but from what you've seen so far 
is there do you feel like we you know the the preseason poll and the coaches and everything that everyone's got a pretty good read or is anyone kind of surprised you a little bit or you think there's a team out there that maybe is a little better than some people are thinking I think South Carolina has been I want to say a huge surprise this season but they're the only, I believe they're the only other team in the SEC. I, I, I look this up again that should double check with well, that only has one loss on the year along with LSU. Um, they, they've just been really solid. They had a lot of injuries last season and they've come into this year as a pretty deep and veteran group. So that, that's a team that I'm kind of keeping my eye, eye out for. Uh, LSU doesn't play, play against them until at least next month, I believe. Um, uh, again, I don't have the schedule memorized, but. Yeah, it's it's uh, they're probably I guess the quote unquote surprise team this season. Alabama had a pretty good start at one point as well, so uh, we're gonna keep an eye out for them. I mean, they have a pretty veteran team as well. Um, but again, it's the SEC. Like, you're really not gonna have uh, there's no, there's not gonna be anything easy, um, except for maybe maybe Kentucky and even Missouri had a pretty good opening first week. So uh, it's it's just. It's kind of ridiculous how much depth there is in this conference. It's um, out of all those different sports, baseball is probably the strongest one. Uh, even considering how you know dominant the SEC has been in football over the years, and 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 putting all that into consideration, and even a sport like gymnastics and stuff like that, I, I just think with baseball, the SEC is just so far and superior compared to these other conferences. Even even compared to uh, other Southern conferences like the Pac-12 and the ACC, it's it's just absolutely, it's absolutely wild. So uh, LSU is definitely going to be challenged this season, even though I do think they have the best roster out of all these teams. It's, I mean, how many other teams can go back to back with a talent like Dylan Cruz and talent like Tommy White, while also have a potential top five pick on the mound? It's, it, 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 think about that. Like, how many times have you seen that? I don't know if we've ever seen that before um, within one college of baseball season in one season. Um, so, yeah, it's. It's going to be a really interesting year for LSU. So do you think the best thing would be if LSU won three close games or if they just went and just, you know, crushed the Aggies? Um, I think a successful weekend would be winning the series. Uh, because if, if baseball is a long season and weird stuff happened and, what, and weird stuff can happen in individual games, so – I think expecting a sweep every single every single weekend, even if they are the more talented team, is is um, is, is kind of probably wishful thinking a little bit, uh, uh, even considering LSU's talent. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a successful series. But in terms of what's better, them winning a bunch of close games or them just blowing everyone out of the water, I think blowing everyone out of the water would be more impressive because it would just show how dominant this team really is and. Um, and you could say, oh, they won't, they won't be ready for pressure situations and, and kind of make that argument, but we've already sort of seen them in a pressure situation, which was the Texas game, so I don't think it's um, totally far-fetched. I, 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 I don't think it's totally accurate to say that they can't handle that. And second of all, like if they can blow out Texas A&M and make them look like, I don't think fools, make it look easy, then how many teams in the country will will actually be able to you know, challenge them in a multi-game situation, in a multi-game situation in a series, like 10, 11, 12. Like, so I, I, it's, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I just feel like anytime you can go with the blowout, you go with the blowout, I, I say at least. All righty, sir. The rubber, as they say, is about to meet the road. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a lot more fun from here on out. So we appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on again. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Game hotline, 706-0111, on this Wednesday. If you would like to get in, discuss LSU baseball, Cajun baseball, NFL, NCAA tournament, any of the many things that are going on right now in the, in the world of sports nationally and region and locally, certainly this, this segment and the next one, good time to get in if you could. Or want to again seven oh six oh one 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 seven oh six oh one one one. Um it's um we first of all we need to clear up the world baseball classic situation for those of us I know not everyone is, but some of us uh care about the American game in an international yeah. competition. <laughs> some of us care. So I, I did forget and I misspoke there that the USA is not even out of pool play yet. I completely forgot about that. So the whatever the reason, the pools are kind of staggered. And so the quarterfinals on the other side of the bracket, that was correct. Cuba beat Australia in the first quarterfinal, and they are on to the semis. Um, but on the other side of the bracket and in the, the other two pools, so I guess pool C and D, those conclude today. So Venezuela plays Israel at uh, 11 o'clock a.m. Mexico plays Canada at 2 p.m., uh, Puerto Rico plays the Dominican Republic at 6, and the U.S. plays Colombia at 9. So the U.S. still needs to win tonight to move on. Um, now, the, the, it got a little bit interesting. Remember, we talked about there was a scenario where they could win out and still uh, be in some trouble after their loss because of the way the, the region was looking. Um, now, they should be okay because they have the tiebreaker over Canada, who's 2-1. and one. So if they win, they're in. But if you lose and Mexico and Canada both win, then you're out. So the U.S. has to win tonight. They have to beat Colombia to ensure that they're moving on. So that will happen tonight. So the U.S. side of the bracket will be later on once that concludes. Um, There's a possibility if the U.S. finishes as runner-up, I think there's a possibility they could match up with Venezuela in the first quarterfinal matchup. That wouldn't be a great draw. So, uh, you know, if things go your way, you could still win the pool um, because if Mexico loses – and you win, you could still win it. But of course, you lost the tiebreaker to them, so Mexico can win the win the pool, and you could end up playing a really good team. So, in who's the not going to make it between Puerto Rico, Venezuela, and the Dominican Republic? So that's going to be decided today. Actually, the uh, the Dominican Republic plays Puerto Rico um, today, and the winner of that game is going to move on. The loser is going to go home. So that, that game is, is going to be brutal. that's at six o'clock on yeah, FS1. That, that's that's almost an unfair pool. Yeah, that was kind of talked about when it, when it came out. I mean, to put all three of those, but I mean, 
geographically it makes sense, but it's just it it just right. And the U.S. Unfair. certainly got a much more favorable draw than than all three of those teams got. But. I, I, absolutely. All right. So since the brackets were released Sunday night, is there now that we're a Wednesday? Is there a team or a matchup that you are liking maybe a whole lot more than you liked on Monday as a, um, you know, like as an upset pick or so, something? So, yeah, I was going to say it depends kind of what you're looking for there. I, I do like a couple of upsets in the first round. I mentioned this already and it hasn't changed. I think all the 12 and 13 seeds have really good chances. I wouldn't take Furman over Virginia. Um, I just think Virginia's defense is going to be a little too much there. Furman's a team that really relies on the three-point shot, and um, I haven't seen them play a ton, but they're the only team that I wouldn't give a a great shot to out of the 12s and 13s. I'm really interested, though, to project out to the second round a little bit and look at some of these eight and nine seeds against one seeds. And one of the ones I really like, I thought this West Virginia team was really solid all year long. Now, there's two ways you can think about the Big 12 as as good as it was and as deep as it was, are the Big 12 teams going to be a little worn down from what's happened in conference play, just the, the toll of playing great teams day in and day out? Or are they going to be battle-tested? And so I really I wouldn't be shocked if, if West Virginia can get out of that 9-8 matchup is going to really give Alabama a run in that second round. And I know Alabama's the number one overall seed, um, but I trust them a little bit less than some of the other one seeds looking at their draw. How good was he at? I mean, was the SEC, like, how far behind is the SEC to, like, the Big Ten and the Big 12? And I think you can't gauge everything from the NSA tournament, but you can gauge a lot. And I, I just think there are there's a thought train of thought out there that Alabama's overrated because they just haven't been tested. Yeah, so, the you know, if you go by conference RPI, which RPI is kind of outdated and they've used other formulas now, but the, the Big 12's first and the SEC second. So it's not like there's a huge discrepancy as far as the SEC being down in the in the Power 5 leagues. But I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not as high on any of these individual SEC teams as I am a lot of the Big 12 teams, and I don't know why that is. I have watched a good bit of it. Um I think at the top of the SEC, right, you take Alabama, who was pretty dominant in that conference, and then A&M kind of finished on, an, on a strong note. Kentucky's been really inconsistent, though. Tennessee's been inconsistent. So, like, other than their top team in Alabama, I don't trust a whole lot of those teams behind them. Um, a lot of people really like A&M, though. Yeah, they're playing well right now, and that's fair. Uh, so I understand why they like them. And, like, again, you know, the numbers do kind of back up the SEC being pretty strong. But I think a lot of SEC teams played better in non-conference than they did. And maybe part of that is just kind of the jumbling up of once you start matching up with your own conference, you start to struggle a little bit. But like Tennessee, we've, we've talked about them a good bit, of course, because at the Cajuns matchup, they're not playing nearly as well as they were playing early on in the season. And I think that's kind of a common theme with a lot of SEC teams. So that's why I'm a little less high. But at the end of the day, they did back it up and win non-conference games. So you, you have to still kind of recognize that those teams are probably going to be pretty formidable. I don't know why I'm just doubting Alabama coming into this tournament, but I am. So you're still high on Purdue? Still high on Purdue, yes. Houston? I feel pretty good about Houston. Um, You want to talk about a team that hasn't gotten tested a ton. The American was just down this year, and Memphis kind of emerged late as a pretty strong team and actually beat them in the conference title game, but they didn't, you know, they lost one conference game kind of randomly to Temple, um, but they didn't get tested nearly as much as the other one seeds. 
um, as in Purdue and Kansas and Bama. So I worry about that, but also those Houston's been a pretty upset-proof team in the tournament under Kelvin Sampson in recent years. They play such good defense, and they've got scoring when they need it. So I trust them to make a run. I don't think they're a national title team, but I think they're definitely an Elite Eight-type team. But they seem like they have some teams in their region that are I would be a little scared of. Yeah, they they do, and and, and like that's the region that you're talking about with Indiana as a four, Texas as a two, uh, and Xavier's the three. It kind of depends which Indiana you get, because that's another team that's had phases this year. Um, there was there was some big panic buttons being hit on Indiana basketball when they were starting conference play, and then they pulled things together and they played really well. They have one of the better players in the country. Um, and Trace Jackson Davis. So, but it, isn't that where Iowa State is? I don't have the bracket in front no, of me. I should. Yeah, Iowa and Iowa State. So all the both uh, Iowa teams are in there. I think Iowa State's a dangerous team. I'm more and more so. Iowa State's in that spot where they've got to play the team that played in the play-in game last night in Pittsburgh, who just got a big win against Mississippi State. I would be worried if Iowa State gets past that first-round game. I think maybe they get on a run, but it's tough. We've seen those play-in teams just have some success. That whole logic of do you want to play? And get your feet wet and get used yep. to playing, but that's what the you know, that's what like Troy's coach on the women's side and South Alabama's coach, I mean Southern Miss's coach on the men's side were complaining about in Pensacola. I don't know what you can do about it. I think it's just a reality of the situation. We'll take a timeout. Come back with more on the game. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Why doesn't Kevin Foot talk more basketball? Oh! Because it's in the best interest for his health not to discuss basketball. I had to give up basketball to save my life. I cannot take basketball. It's way too subjective. More footnotes coming up on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 706 706-0111, 706-0111 if you would like to get in. Speaking of basketball, in the NBA last night, again, it's getting harder and harder to keep Pelicans fans from jumping off the ledge. LeBron is still not playing, and the Lakers just demolished like they didn't even compete with the Lakers last night like what are we supposed to make on that I'm just glad I was at Russo Park and not watching it at home (laughs) he kept updating the score Dawson and I were both at Russo Park last night watching the Cajuns and um he kept updating the score and it just seems like it kept getting worse and worse and like man I kind of thought the Lakers might win, but I didn't think they just no contest. Um, I, I, it's just way too erratic. I mean, I mean, do do you blame the head coach or the leaders, or is there are there no leaders? But I think there are. I mean, I think McCullum's a leader. Like, what is the problem? It is bizarre. I mean, it I mean, it is. They've now it's it's unreal. I, they went from Saturday playing horribly the game I covered and was in the house for 
And then they came back Sunday, played maybe their best game of the season, and then they came back Tuesday and played maybe their worst game. They maybe topped the Oklahoma City game. It was even worse. They were down 75-40 to 40 at halftime. I mean, and the end, the final score ended up looking way, you know, 123-108, to 108, so they lost by 15. Obviously, it was way worse than that because it was a 35-point game at half. Man, not a lot of defense being played there. So I, I don't... Um, that Adam, that one's getting harder and harder to explain, and it's um, it's amazing um, how bad that has gotten. So, in terms of basketball discussion, we might want to keep it on the NCAA tournament, and we'll continue to, um, you know, we'll talk even more tomorrow. I won't be here. Uh, Dawson will be here, but we we will talk on the phone, and um, you know that. I think I'm feeling better as the week goes on about the Cajuns' chances. But, I again, I've just – when you see a lot of games in a season, you know, it, it's kind of like I, I, I've said for years, like people who – like when we're talking about players from the past – like, I don't think a lot of us have in our mind the idea that Babe Ruth popped up or struck out with a runner on third in less than two hours. Like, we don't think that, but it happened. Like, there were plenty of times where he came up with a runner on third in less than two outs and popped up or, you know, hit a comebacker to the pitcher or struck out and didn't get the run home. So when when you haven't seen something – it um it, it makes it harder to re- – so I've seen plenty of times this year, as good a season as they've had, the Cages have had a great season where, you know, they made 18 turnovers in a conference game that they won. Like, they've won games by double digits. And I just – if they have one of those turnover games, it's just – I've seen them, especially of late, not so much early, where they've – Shot like one for 10 or whatever, or two for 13, or, you know, didn't make a lot of threes. Some of those games they even won. It's not that they played bad overall, but I hear how much of a chance they have, and I do think they have a chance. I don't think this is an unwinnable game, not even close to an unwinnable game. But I just know that they can have one of those high turnover games I don't think so anyway. I hate saying you can't because may- maybe they will turn it over 15 or 16 times and still win, you know, 54 to 50 or something. I mean, I don't know, but I don't think they're going to get away with that, and I really don't think they can get away with it if they don't hit some threes. I, I would agree. I, and I don't think – the reason you can't turn it over, in my opinion, I it depends what ki- type of turnovers you have, though, too. If you're having, you know – Dead ball turnovers, maybe you can survive a bunch of those. But if you're allowing Tennessee to get points in transition, I don't think you have a chance. Because, again, everything I've heard from the people I know that that watch Tennessee and and what I've watched of them as well, they can struggle to score at times. And so if you get in a situation where you're forcing Tennessee to consistently put together good possessions on offense, then you'll stay in this game. But in that same situation, as we've seen them do sometimes this year, if you start getting loose with it and they're getting easy buckets and transition threes – then you might you might get run out of the building to an extent. So that's what you have to avoid. You have to take care of it. And I think I think Coach Marlin's team's going to be ready to do that. 
And then on the other end, yeah, if you want to win the game and more so than just keep it close, then you definitely have to hit hit a bunch of three-point shots. I'd say, and we've talked different numbers, I think if you hit you know, six or more, you maybe have a shot, eight to ten, you're feeling better, I, you got to hit a bunch of threes. To your point, sometimes a dead ball turnover can be even better than missing a shot and the other team getting the rebound because then you don't have the outlet pass opportunity. So that that's a good point. Not all turnovers are created the same. That's it for one hour, the first hour, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. We are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber to Game Hotline, 706-0111, 706-0111. We've got some news here that I just heard, and I'm trying to kind of process a little bit, and it's not working as well as I wanted it to um, so far. Okay, let's see. Okay, here's the deal. The Saints have signed a veteran defensive tackle, which we talked about just like, you know, 50 minutes ago. His name is Nathan Shepard. He's a large lad. 64315. We like large lads in a large lad position. Um his um you know grade was 68.9. Sheld Mr. Rankins was 73. Shy Tuttle was 60. Ashawn Robinson, who we were talking about, Robinson yesterday maybe is one with 64-4. So seems like, um, you know, good. Yeah, he did pretty well last year at stopping to run his um, his PFF grade. Now, some people don't like, some people don't put as much stock in the old uh, PFF grade, but, you know, it gives you somewhat of an indication that, you know, he was better than a Tuttle, um, you know, and maybe not as good as some of the other defense. Like Rankins, Rankins was really good last year, but Rankins' two previous years didn't do a whole lot. So it just depends on you. Because the bottom line is he's big. He um, he has had some success. The guy Robinson from the Rams that we talked about is a little bit bigger. He's six four three thirty. But again, he had a better year last year than his previous two years. So Shepard's maybe a little better, uh, more consistent over the the last couple years. And so we'll see. He comes from the Jets. Now, I just want to throw this out there. The Saints' success rate of signing defensive free agents – from the Jets. Do you remember Savoir Fair? That was way before your time, Dawson. Savoir Fair. Now, why did I call him that? He was everywhere. And that was Jonathan Vilma. He he won a Super Bowl for the Saints. 
He was a free agent uh, acquisition from the Jets. Demario Davis, free agent acquisition from the Jets on the defensive side. So I'm all for this concept of picking up a free agent from the Jets on defense. Jonathan Vilma was not before my time. No, but the the, saying. Of, okay. of me saying. Got you. Yeah. yeah. That one. Salva Fair. That's yeah. one of my favorite ones. He was um, every, He's everywhere. Yeah, so this guy was a rotational guy for the Jets. He played around 40% of the snaps, and that's kind of been 30 to 40% of the snaps has been when he's been in his career. So um, this isn't like the last move they're going to make, but they needed to make a bunch, so here's the first one. So now yeah. you have a guy. They have a guy, and again, they just defensive line, unless you're like Cam Jordan, is a rotational position anyway, so I'm, I'm fine. I have no issues with that. But I wanted a veteran who knew what he was doing, and now, I mean, I'm not saying I'd be against if they sign another one, but at least they have a veteran. And now I'm hoping they sign, they assign, they draft one in the first or second round. And then now just get me a veteran running back. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be somebody with a big old name. Like, you know, if they would go out and get a Sanders and, you know, we'd be a little geeked up, but I think that would probably cost a little too much money. Even if you get a guy like he's a backup, like a Madison, like just give me a veteran that knows how to he can see a hole and hit a hole. See hole, hit hole. Downfield runner. That's what I need. I wonder what Tony Jones is doing. Who who you think Tony Jones picked to win the NCAA tournament? Who who does Tony Jones have in going into the final four? You don't uh, understand. I kept having here, oh no, we don't we don't need Murray. We got Tony Jones. Well, he's a Notre Dame guy, and they're not a part of the tournament this year. So um, maybe Tony Jones. Maybe he's more focused on the women's bracket because Notre Dame, I think, is in that one at least. Tony Jones. Yeah, no. Look, I, I, I will say. I mean, I wasn't on the air with you. I didn't know you at the time any either. But I, I had some hope in Tony Jones. He showed some flashes, and then it, it, it went downhill from there. But he did show some flashes at first. He's in Seattle with Jaron Reed, isn't he still? Is he still in Seattle? I don't know if he's still on that roster. I, I'd imagine he's going to have to make a roster in camp. But, yeah, no, Madison makes a lot of sense. That's a name that makes a lot of sense, and that's, um, you know, that kind of fits the mold of some of the guys they've been trying to sign, but just that's a guy who has a lot more upside and tread left in the tire, so to speak. So I, I would like to see them make a move like that. Now the name that's going to come up, because it's been reported that the Cowboys are looking to move on from Zeke, is going to be Zeke Elliott. I You'd have to obviously get him at the right price. Yeah, if at the right price, I'll take him. Right. Yeah. But um, but obviously he looks like he looked a little worn down last year. He doesn't look like he's uh, got a whole lot left in the tank, at least. Shepard. This cat's name is Shepard. He's coming to the Saints. Like, we might have to call this cat Moses. Like, a lot of Shepherds have been Saints. Read a little Old Testament, you'll see some. A lot of shepherds have been saints. So, um, I don't know. We might have to come up with a Abraham, Moses. Got some, a lot of very interesting. Now, I don't want to cross the line, certainly, there. But um, I don't know. We might have to find one that's not quite as well-known as Moses and Abraham. Just but I like that. I like the possibilities shepherd. for a nickname for him. Yeah, well, hopefully he's good enough to to merit a nickname. Although you've got nicknames for some guys that I would never have expected to even cross your mind, so I'm sh- you know I'm not sure that's the criteria. But 
I'm hoping he makes enough plays to it be brought up. It just either strikes you or it doesn't kind of thing. You know, it, it just um, – or and maybe, they, you know, of course, this guy, I mean, have you seen any speculation like how much money – this probably is not – probably not a high-priced free agent, which is good. I, I, don't, I don't need a high-priced free agent. I just need a veteran defensive tackle that knows how to tackle stuff to run. That's what I need. Not real picky. I don't need – Warren Sapp. I can draft Warren Sapp or Aaron Donald. Some people want the Saints to to draft Aaron Donald, and we'll see how that plays out. But anyway, it's nice. They're kind of spoiling us in that lately, the last few years, it seemed like every time we ask for something, we've been getting it. In the, in the offseason, I'm talking about, not the preseason. Like, I ask for healthy players, I never get that. I mean, can I have a healthy – can I make a field goal? By the way, did it cross your mind yesterday when we were interviewing Coach Bobby Pascal, former Cajun? Did, I, I, I saw you made a facial expression, but you didn't go to a full-fledged laugh when he said they shouldn't call free throws free. They should call them foul shots because they're not as easy as they look. Yeah, well, did you get well, a kick out of that at I did, all? But, but so he actually kind of had he had a little bit of you and a little bit of me in him because he said that. But then he also said his advice to Jordan Brown would just be to make him. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did say that. What advice, Coach, would you give Jordan Brown? He said, "Make him." <laughs> that was funny. Um, I mean, I'm okay if they call him foul shots, but. Uh, I still think, now again, the difference between field goal kicking is there is no shock version of an NFL kicker. Like, I get that there are people who are, you know, like Shaq or big physical guys who aren't great shooters. That's not really their skill. I don't expect those people to be great free throw shooters. But I expect any NFL kicker who's kicking indoors with no win to make 90%, 85 to 90% of their field goals, you know, from inside of 50 yards. I mean, I, if there's no win, you got to make it. It's just that simple, unless they snap it over the punter's head or I mean, the holder's head or something. So those are not total apple stab. But I, I didn't comment when Coach Pascal said that, but I figured you got a, a kick out of that. I, I will say because you one, love miss free throws. No, and I don't love goal, miss free throws. Goals. And look, if if Jordan starts missing them tomorrow night, I'm going to get anxious early on. But there are, you know, the, the other thing that I'll say about field goal kicking, while it's not often a factor in the NFL, there is a defense to a field goal, which is there's rushers, and on the free throw line, there's not. So I would then give a little bit more leeway to a kicker who sometimes has to deal with a bad snap or a pressure up the middle. I only blame the kicker if the snap is good. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I don't. I'll tell you what, man, you know, he. Do you think Thomas Morstead leaving had anything to do with Will Lutz's struggles? You, you feel like that whole? I know anybody should be able to hold a field goal, and we shouldn't be talking about that. But I don't know. Maybe there's just something slight about the way Gillikin holds it that he doesn't like. I don't know. That's a good question, but uh, he better figure it out. Also, I wonder what number Blake Gillikin's going to wear, huh? Because it, it, we didn't we didn't get any announcements, That's but true. he sure as heck gave it up because Derek Carr had number four everywhere. 
Well, I mean, I know he's a. We think he's a really good punter. He had some iffy punts last year. I, I, you know, he he was part of the disappointing special teams. Again, that's a theme that we haven't talked nearly enough about. The special teams play has got to improve dramatically. It was it was completely disappointing last year. But um, uh, he's still a punter and a young punter, and you're talking about a quarterback. So, you know. Let's know your place here. Let's, you know, give the man his little number. Um, four has not been a great number for the Saints, but uh, hopefully he he, he kind of makes it that way. All right, speaking of the Saints, let's go ahead and take a timeout. On the other side, we will talk to Luke Johnson a little bit more about the Saints. And now we have, of course, this news might, mess up our interview potentially so we'll see how that plays out we'll take a time out and be back this is footnotes on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you then footnotes is the show for you Time for more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. And we, I thought, you know, I try to give Luke a break when it's busy because I understand how that works when I thought I'd see if he might have a little few minutes for us to get caught up on the Saints. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Well, I'm about to head to Orlando, Florida. We'll see how that goes. Cages play Tennessee and and uh, you know, it, you know, you, you have all the Cinderella Disney world and they're going to be playing till midnight. So there's all kind of possibilities there. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, I, I'm sure everybody's hoping for a little bit of magic out there, so we'll see what happens. Yes. But, uh, but, man, if you see Bobby Marlin, give him my best, man. It's, it's, uh, it's great to see him having, having some success with the team this year. Absolutely. All right, let's hit the ground running. I am more surprised. I'm sure a lot of people were surprised that um, Plastic Man Michael Thomas ended up signing with the Saints. But I'm more surprised that Jameis is still here than that Michael Thomas is still here. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, I think if you would have asked me in like in like January, um, you know, about either of these guys, I would have told you there's there's like no chance they were coming back. And then I think if you would have asked me last week, I'd have been like, I think there's a good chance Michael Thomas comes back, but I don't think there's any chance. I'm still like I'm still surprised. I still don't get it. None. It makes zero sense. Yeah. Look. I, I mean, you know, the team clearly signaled to him last year that it didn't want him as a starter, right? I, I mean, multiple times, right? It tried to go out and get Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, even when it signed him to the to the two year deal, um, you know, it, it had a pretty pretty clear out after after one year. Um, and most of the guarantees were paid up front. Um, you know, I, I just think, and then obviously they, you know, they ended up starting Andy even after James Winston came back from his injury. So, um, you know, I thought that that relationship between the player and the team had just you know, deteriorated. I, James was pretty, 
pretty clear about the fact that he was not happy with that decision last year. And I, you know, I don't blame him either. Um, but you know, I guess he he looked around and didn't see really any uh, any opportunities for him to to maybe earn a starting job somewhere else. I just don't know. I don't know how he gets that chance next year. You know, it, like I, I would have thought that if he wanted to play, if he wanted to, to play himself into, you know, a, a, a really nice big contract somewhere, you, know, you, you find a place where you can you can maybe get some playing time. And you know, right now the only chance he's going to get a playing time in New Orleans is if Derek Carr gets hurt. Yeah, I, it, it really doesn't make any sense. Now, I look, I love having a veteran. I don't like having rookies as backups and, and they're having to get their feet wet and all that, but it, 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 it it's just really, really bizarre the way that worked out. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, the, these all these players that are leaving the Saints and signing with the Arnolds and the Falcons, I, I don't really – I mean, that's not a new thing, play, signing in your division because of the whole familiarity thing, but – Thirteen and twelve million for guys who, you know, in Anyamata and uh, Davenport, that just haven't done a lot in the last couple of years. That, the money was a little surprising to me. Yeah, look. I, first of all, let me just say that, like, I think the Saints' defensive uh, interior, especially, was really disappointing last year. Um, yeah, I don't think. I don't think the Saints, you know, they, they would have had these, they would have invited these guys back, but it definitely, like, I, I was blown away by Onyemati getting $12 million a year. Yes. He hasn't been, he hasn't been the same player that he was when he signed that, that big contract a couple of years ago. I, I mean, he hasn't been that player since, yeah, 2020. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just think that, yeah, they didn't, they didn't, like, they lost. They lost players, obviously, but yeah, I just—I don't think it was that big a loss. I think Caden Ellis was out of those four defensive players assigned elsewhere. I think he's the only one where you're like, man, you know, they're probably going to come back and regret that one. Like, I get it in the the, the, the present moment, it's hard to commit to paying, you know, and they were going to have to pay him seven, eight million dollars a year. They were going to have to convince him that there was going to be a role for him here, even though there's no clear starting role. Um, you know, that's a lot to stomach for a player who's you know, really a backup. I think that's going to be the one they, they end up looking back on doing. Maybe we should have been a little bit more aggressive on that. But like Onyemata, look, good player, but not worth $13 million. Shy Tuttle, he's no. a player, but I think he's replaceable. Marcus Davenport, it's like, you know, that's that's a huge gamble. The Saints aren't in a position to gamble on a player like that anymore. You know, it just, you just don't know. He might be the most dominant player on the field and, and he might be missing eight games a year. You just don't know with him. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really worry about too much about that, especially on the defensive line. That's All right. So there were a lot of people that were doing the Hinden Hooker thing. They signed Derek Carr. They're not drafting a quarterback. And I don't think they were going to draft one before, but they're certainly not going to draft one now, especially in the first two rounds. Or they better not, or I will be hyperventilating for a month. But – uh, we've already now we're getting news that they've signed two veteran defensive tackles because that was the other popular thing, defensive tackle. So let's just, for speculation's sake, does that mean, let, let's say they, you know, they're comfortable with the two de- veteran defensive tackles, they're comfortable at quarterback. Are they going to do what no one does and draft a running back in the first round? Um, I, I think it depends. Look, if 
if B. John Robinson is there, like, hell yeah. <laughs> right. Or if he like falls even to like, I don't know, like 25 or something like that. Like, I, I don't think it'd be a bad idea to trade up and get him. Like that guy's going to be a stud for the next six years. Right. Even if you're only getting him on, on a, like for the rookie deal and then letting him sign elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that'd be, that'd be a great move in my opinion. Like th- that's the thing I, I don't really understand about, uh, you know, people saying like, Oh, I don't draft a running back first round of position big value. Like, yes, you can find those players later on, but if you get a guy who you know is going to be like a plus player who you have contractual control of for the five best years of his career, like why aren't you doing that? Um, especially like back end of the first round. So yeah, like if, if like a stud is there and, and somebody who you think is going to be amazing, um, yeah, I, I don't see any problem with taking them there. But, you know, I, I think they're, they're also going to be you know, keeping their eyes open for the other positions where, you know, they, they, could, use some, they could use some help. Like if, if somebody like Clemson's Brian Brzee is there at 29, um, I think he should be in the mix. Yeah, those are two players who I don't think are going to be there, him and Bijan Robinson, but, like, maybe. You just, you just never know. And there's also this is just, like, a really, really, really good class for tight ends. Um, and the Saints want to add another another player who's you know, somebody who they can count on on you know, third and five. Um, you know, and I, I think even with Michael Thomas coming back, they did probably want to hedge on that, you know, and have somebody else in case Mike gets hurt again. Uh, so you know, I mean, maybe that's somebody like Notre Dame's Michael Meyer is a huge target, big contested catch guy, or like Utah's Dalton Kincaid. I just think there's a lot of different areas they could go with uh, with number one. All right, so I think the first question, you know, I I, I did a when the Saints made the trade and got a first round pick, I I kind of did a little looking into the trade and the and, into the NFL draft, and then since then it's been so busy, I, I can't wait to get back into it. But one thing that I noticed is there were a ton of edge rushers that were that had top two round grades, so. Do you think that the Saints are saying we need an edge rusher? How how much of an option do you think an edge rusher would be? Because to me, that's a tricky question with the way things are with the Saints right now. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. I I think they've got some good players there, you know, but it's it's like a lot of them have have question marks. Um, you know, Cam has been a very good player his entire career. He's he was good last year. He was good the year before, but he's about to be. What thirty three? I think um, you just never know when 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 that that edge is going to come. <laughs> um, yeah, Peyton Turner obviously is what he is at this point. Um, yeah, they invested a first rounder in him, and and he just hasn't panned out. I think they still believe there's potential in there, but they got to get it out of him. Um, you know, Tano Passano and Carl Carl Granderson are good players, but like you know, I, I don't think either of those guys are are going to yeah, put up like a Trey Hendrickson season anytime soon. So, you know, it's it's something that they've they've always invested heavily in, um, but it's also, you know, this I, it's such it's a hit thing, and miss position. It, yeah, and and it's one thing too that the, the you got to remember the Saints have just a different prototype for their edge defenders than a lot of teams do. They're not going to draft like a two hundred and forty pound edge rusher um, in the first round like other teams will be willing to do. You know, they 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 look for guys who are big, long, heavy. Um, and I don't know if 
any of those guys who were you know, maybe profound toward the back end of the first round really fit that bill. Then again, I, I didn't think that was that was the case for Peyton Turner, you know, two years ago, and they they, they used a late first rounder on him too. All right, so it, is there a need? Obviously, they got to address the running back position. Um, you know, and it's been a major problem, and I've been screaming and hollering about it for over two years. They got to address the running back position. So, uh, assuming they're going to do that, what other major need area do you think they really need to address, whether it's free agency and or the draft? Um, yeah, they they are obviously starting to do it with the defensive tackles right now. But I, I mean, it's like not only do they need bodies, but they they need to get better there. Right, so I would expect them to continue looking to add just like high level talent there, especially in the draft. Um, you know, like I said, they they need um, you know somebody, whether it's a receiver or a tight end, who's going to kind of give them that contested catch element. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see them continue adding to the secondary, even though it's it's a pretty good strength for them at the moment. Um, I just think you know, we we went into last year and we're like, man, they're. they're too deep at every single position, and then you know, next thing you know, they got they got you know, Chris Harris coming out of semi-retirement to play huge snaps for him. It's just a position where you can never have enough good players. What about um, safety? I, I'm still a little uneasy about the safety situation. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. Um, you know, Tyron Matthews getting up there. You know, he played every game for him last year, but um, I, I don't think you can just count on that. Marcus May, I, I mean, you've got two, like, outstanding court cases, right? I, like, he might be dealing with a suspension this year. Um, so I, I just think that uh, that it's, it's something that, that they'd be kind of wise to address. I don't know if that's that's something they need to do, like, they absolutely need to do early in the draft, like, like number 40 or whatever. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I could see him adding safety. I could see him adding a linebacker after losing Caden Ellis. Um, you know, I, I think. Um, do you think they like Jackson? Like, I mean, do you think they have hopes for Jackson, or that's just? Yeah, yeah, sure they do. But they, but you know, he's 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 completely he's, he's an unknown for him because I mean, I don't even think he played in training camp last year. I think he had his injury in in OTAs. So, um, or if he did play in training camp, it was, it was very brief. Um, so yeah, he's just really I, I mean, like a complete unknown. And I, I don't think that he'd be – I think he'd be more depth at, like, the, the Mike Will spot than, than kind of find a replacement for Caden Ellis at the Sam. So is 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 Will Lutz going to make a resurrection, a resurrection, or is he going to give me a stomachache for the rest of my life? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I mean, I think so. But I think kicker is, is such a I, – I, Guys just have it and lose it in the NFL, um, and, and Will Lutz I clearly just didn't have it last year. I mean, it wasn't he was he was not the same player. Um, I don't think there's I don't think you can say on on one season that that's that's the player he's going to be now. Um, you know, especially after having missed the entire season before. Um, but you know, I, I don't think it'd be a bad idea for them to to just have somebody else in camp. Um, see what they what they can do, uh, you know, and, and and see where Will Lutz is. Like it's not it's not a bad idea. It's really really important. Like they they need to have a kicker they can depend oh, on. Oh, got, got got to do it. All right, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but one more question. 
Do you have after the first press conference? Do you have different impressions, or uh, has anything changed? Or what are your thoughts on the Derek Carr situation? No, I, I think um, you know, based on everybody I was talking to before they even signed him, um, you know, he kind of hit all the notes I was expecting. Um, you know, the Saints are are really really high on him character wise, um, and uh, and you know I think. Everything he said in that press conference, like just all hit the right notes. Yes. Right. So, um, you know that part I, you know, that he, he just said he he hit what I was expecting him to hit, and uh, and I think um, I think that part's taken care of. Now, obviously, he's got to do it on the field, um, but I think in terms of you know in the locker room and the community, I think he's he's a really good fit. The only thing that worries me is he's fumbled too much in his career. He's got to not do that. Like it. that's the only thing I'm really worried about is him fumbling too much. Yeah, yeah, you know that's <laughs> we saw last year um, what a bunch of turnovers can do to a team. Uh, so I absolutely agree with you. You can't can't fumble. You can't. I mean, he's, he's thrown probably too many picks in the last couple of years too. So uh, something the Saints need to make sure that it's not a problem this year. Absolutely. Well, look, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on, and um, we'll see what happens and. Get you back on in, in uh, hopefully not too distant future. Thank you very much. Hey, no problem, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline 706-0111. Right when we were about to interview Luke, the news broke. Not only have the Saints drafted Nathan Shepard. Now, Nathan Shepard is more like a rectangle. He's built like a rectangle. They also signed Kansas City Chief Defensive Tackle Kalen Saunders. This cat is a square. Like, he is a beefy lad. So, I love signing beefy lads when you have need at defensive tackle. So, they, the Saints today, when I woke up this morning, the Saints had no – they had signed zero veteran defensive tackles. Now, they have signed two veteran defensive tackles. A rectangle and a square. A large lad and a beefy lad. Man. And the beefy lad had three more sacks than Davenport had last season. Think about that. Man, I don't know. The more I think about it, Bob, they could just get me a running back and a safety. I still think we need a safety. I just, I'm just not, and Luke kind of agree with me. If you heard Luke in the last, a little bit not feeling too good. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello, Kevin. One thing you need to do is make sure you win out there in Orlando, and don't come back over here when alone. Well, I agree with that, but it, I tell you what, it's going to be a lot easier for me to get to Orlando uh, and not be too tired. Now that I got a rectangle and a square on my defensive line. I love beefy lads. 
I'm happy for you, Kevin. Kevin, I heard an interview yesterday. I forgot my short, but uh, some uh, Tennessee beat writer. They were talking about basketball teams, and he said something that really caught my attention. He said his interior defense is kind of sort of good. Is not that good. Is not what? Interior defense. Is what? Uh, I, I I thought that was one of their strong suits. I mean, they got a six eleven guy and a six nine guy, and they're supposedly one of the best defenses in the country statistically. That's what I thought too. But this is some people out there, so everybody he knows something we don't. Well, he I hope he's right. Right? He said they could, but he said he, they, he is seriously worried about Brown. Now, and another thing he said, I kind of knew that already. Without Ziegler, they really have nobody else in the team that can break it down one on one. He said that other guard from Subvert, that other European guard. Yeah, he's a good shooter, a good catch and shooter, but and he moves well. Yeah, yeah, the he, yeah. He's a catch and uh-huh. shooter. Yeah, he, he's a catch and shooter. Yes. So he said they have so far left on their team that can break it down one on one. So, I mean, that right there gives me hope right there. Now, look, the high for the turnover aspect, which I'm very concerned about, and they're going to get like little pick six turnovers where they're going to, you know, get a, a steal and make a, a easy layup. That worries me, but. The point about the interior defense, and I just like I said, this is the beat writer. They know more about them teams than anybody else. And he said the interior defense is not so good. And I also think I've heard some talk from them that they don't they don't know that the team chemistry is is like at all time high, all that great. So look, I think if they can keep it close down the stretch, they'll have a realistic chance to win the game. Um, but again, you got to not turn over and you got to make some threes. So we'll see. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the Milwaukee Bucks, that's a good team. Yeah, it's a good team. <laughs> you know, Kevin, I just hope, you know, I mean, they've been trying to work Middleton back into the lineup. He's still coming off the bench because they you know, leave that. So, I mean, they're still working him and getting him legs, legs under him. But, you know, they got great role players now. They're single, uh, Grayson Allen, I know you don't like them, and, uh, McConaughey, they, they, they I mean, they got so many great role players along with one superstar, and that's what it takes. Kevin, going back to the uh, uh, Tennessee and the, the game against Cajun, how about if we just give them one of them uh, Mike Tyson's left hooks like we do uh, at the beginning of the game? We've done it about seven times this year, and let's do it again, where we're going to hit that first media timeout up like uh, 16 to 2. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm all for that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I... Okay. I'm all for that plan. That might be kind of difficult to do, but I I, I support your um, concept. Yes. And like I said, don't come back with all the way. All right. (laughs) Call Cat. A beefy lad. Dawson is not as excited as I am. I can tell. I'm plenty excited, but we signed Derek Carr, and your reaction was, what are we going to do everywhere else? And now you're acting like we just won the Super Bowl because we got a defensive tackle. Man, I want look. I, I didn't. I just did not expect to sign two defensive because normally the Saints wait on free agency in this phase. So they signed two today: a rectangle and a square. Yeah, we signed them in about a ten minute span. We might yeah. get. We might only have to you know book one plane trip at, down to New Orleans. They might save some money. They might sign them on the same paper. Just give them two pens. I mean, they signed them literally within five minutes of each other. They had two of them. Now, look, I, I, I'm I, all for three and a half sacks, but I'm not. I just need them to stop the run. I just need them to stop the run. And um, I, I just, it, you know, you'll never know. 
because to Luke's point, and we've talked about this before, that the Saints, I'm not a huge fan of the of the Saints combine. They're basically, they like combine warriors in the first round. That's what they like. Either they run really fast at receiver or they're really big. You know, they don't they don't really draft football players in the first round. They draft combine measurables. I'm not a huge fan of that. And and that's one of, I have that working theory that that's why the Saints have gotten they've hit some on the first round some, but they they seem to do better in like the third and fourth round because they by that time they're drafting football players and not combine warriors. So we'll you know um, we'll see how that played out. But man, I I really it could really change. Do, do you think signing these two defensive tackles, the amount of defensive tackle predictions for the first round or the second round are going to go down or no? Well, maybe, but then my other thought would be, like we didn't think we were going to lose Tuttle and Onyemata, so if you'd have had one or the other, I'd have still wanted to draft a defensive tackle. But again, tackle. Tuttle is Tuttle's a complete non-factor. Like It's not just that they didn't draft him. Mean, he's a backup. Well, I, He's a backup. In a rotational position. Well, I, and I think Shepard might be a similar guy, though. So what I'm saying is, I still, yeah, I'd still love a first round defensive tackle and, and let Shepard be what he's been in his career, thirty to forty percent of the snaps. Anyamata was, you know, up closer to sixty to seventy percent. So I, I don't think it changes it for me. Now, yeah, I'm sure the projections of people are going to change now because they're going to go, well, if they signed him, they're not going to draft him. But just like if we sign, you know. Alex Madison or Jamal Williams tomorrow, I'd still like to go draft the running back. Oh, absolutely. So oh, absolutely. It doesn't change it much for me, but it probably will change it for some. Oh, I'd be all for drafting another defensive tackle, but I still want a safety now. You know, he also brought up tight end. I and I love I love tight ends and safeties, my two favorite positions. But I mean, do you really want to pick a tight end in the first round? I, yeah, I if he makes know. a big impact and he catches balls on third down, because that was the biggest problem with the offense last year. They couldn't catch the ball on third down. Yeah, Michael Mayer's a ball player, and I'll tell you, so I, I wouldn't mind if he's somehow there. And, and that Where did he go to school? Notre Dame. And how many good Notre Dame players we've had in 57 years with the Saints? Uh, maybe one. That doesn't mean anything. Oh, no, 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 no. We got Ohio State, uh, I'll buy into. Other than that, I don't have any. I don't think any Michigan, track record. Penn State, Notre Dame. Not a fan of those three <laughs> schools with the Saints. They don't work out. They don't work out. This punter, it starts going south. We're going to know why. Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame. About 30 years ago, maybe 31, we drafted a a Notre Dame tight end in the first round. His son still plays in the league, and he was a nice guy, but he was not a good player for the Saints, Irv Smith. Liked him, but he wasn't a first-round tight end. I don't know. I'm a little iffy about the first-round tight ends, but I like beefy lads. We'll take a timeout and be back. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to... Welcome back to Footnotes. Only got about five minutes left in today's program. And let's go to the game hotline. Hello. How are you, sir? Now, you're a man that likes a beefy, a good beefy lad as a defensive tackle, don't you? Yes, sir, I do. But that ain't what I'm calling for, Footsie. You know exactly what I'm calling for. Here's one man on the one polar opposite side of the Will Wade argument. Well, let me just explain to you. The general is back. The general (laughs) is back. I sent the athletics director at McNeese State University. I sent the man an email, congratulated the athletic director for being a progressive, forward-thinking man. That's what it took. Not a not a spineless wimp, but a progressive, forward-thinking man. I have never watched a McNeese basketball game in my life, but you can rest assured I will now be tuned in for the general, baby. I am 100% behind the general. I'm 100% in. What time is that show at tonight? Six o'clock. Six o'clock. I will be listening. And I, 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 I'm just, I can't even tell you how ecstatic I am. Uh, I mean, well, I'm, I'm glad you said I'm what just, you said because I was starting to worry you had like some John Rudd underoos as a child. Nope. No, sir, I didn't. But I'm fired up because the general is back, baby. And, you know, it is just, hey, the general the general said his career needed a rebirth. But Southwest Louisiana needed a rebirth. Hey, the, see, that, that's, what, that's why people like the general, because he, he speaks the truth. See, people don't like the truth. The truth is an endangered species in the, in the United States. Not with the general, baby. Well, I'm just, I, I can't even wait, Footsie. I can't even tell you how excited I am about this. Well, I, I'm sensing it. Well, I am. Well, all right, Footsie, enjoy your trip to Orlando. And at 6 o'clock tonight, I can listen right here on the game, correct? Absolutely. Yes, sir. I'll probably have to call in. <laughs> now, I, want, I assume they take call in. I might have to call in. Tell the general how happy I am. <laughs> all right. Thanks for the call. All right, Footsie. Take care. All right. We got other news. Guess who's the new quarterback for the Tampa Bay Yucks? Well, if someone ever needed to play for the Yucks, it was this guy, Baker Mayfield. So now the Arnold signed Crawfish and the Yucks signed Baker Mayfield. I I guess I'm not shocked by that, but man. We ready to print uh, NFC South champ t-shirts or we need to see what Atlanta does? Well, we uh, I'm um, who are the what are their options at quarterback? Who Atlanta? Atlanta. Well, they signed Taylor Heineke a few days ago. That's true. So he's That's in the mix. true. Um, 
And then I guess Ritter is going to have a chance to win the job, maybe, uh, and maybe they sign someone else or draft somebody. But it's you know what's weird too to me is how quickly teams now, as I know we're, we're kind of coming up on in the end of the show, but how quick teams are now to like ride off quarterbacks that don't even ever really play. Like you heard those rumblings that like the Falcons were kind of ready to move on from Ritter, and it's like he barely even played. I mean, we don't even know yet. Now maybe I guess maybe in practice he hasn't been what they thought, but it's just funny now. Like sometimes teams are so. You spend so much to get him, but then at the same time, if, if he doesn't give you the immediate return, they're like, all right, let's keep spinning the wheel, see who's next. It, it, is, it is a bit strange. Uh, you know, I think he's a little bit of a project when they got him, but I don't know. It's um, And the thing is, there's some guys who, when the light, when the game comes in, when the lights turn on, they do better. Now, he did play some, so they saw him in game <clears> – <throat> I mean, you know, you're only going to win so much. But man, boy, this has turned out to be an eventful day, an eventful morning. Saints sign a rectangle and a square to play defensive tackle. Baker Mayfield is going to the Yucks, and all kind of stuff is going on. Um, Bitter found out that Will Wade's going to be on the coach's show. Man, he was fired up. Quite a, quite a, um, an interesting morning. All right, I'll be talking to you a little bit as a guest tomorrow. Dawson will take over for the next two days. Y'all have a nice day.